Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from outside the Drunk Gossip studio host. Um, seriously, it, we, I got back into the studio, and it was so hot, um, I had to turn down the heat and come outside for a couple minutes, so, I, but I still wanted to record, because there's a lot of juicy stuff happening, and I'm so very excited that we're kind of getting back to a more normal schedule now. Um, and I know Will would not approve of me doing this, but whatever. Um, so. We've been talking a lot about Miley Cyrus. And I, we're going to talk about it a lot more, because why wouldn't we? This time, she and estranged husband Liam Hemsworth have unfollowed one another on Instagram. Which, as we all know, means that they are now legally divorced. (laughs) Seriously. um, There's a lot of people who are making a big deal out of this. Uh, And uh, part of it, I mean, of course it's a big deal. Social media is part of our lives. It's like an extension of us now. However... I don't understand how people are shocked that uh, a couple who announced months ago that they had broken up unfollowed one another. Uh, it seems a little counterintuitive to think that they were going to continue to follow one another, that they were going to continue to uh, support one another in that way. Uh, Especially as they both move on to new relationships. Uh, Miley Cyrus, of course, has been hanging out with Cody Simpson, who she's been friends with for years. And uh, Liam Hemsworth has been dating uh, one of the actresses from Dynasty. Now, this is all well, fine, and good. But here's the strange twist of the story. Miley still follows Chris Hemsworth and the other Hemsworth brother. And Liam still follows Miley's sister Noah uh, and her dad Billy Ray. So we, there's no one who really knows what's going on in terms of that. It, you know, obviously they're family. They're, they were together for over a decade. So it would stand the reason that they would still want to talk to each other's family and, you know, just basically um, keep that relationship going. But it is also a little bit weird, you know. When my parents divorced, uh, the family still talked to my mom. My dad's family still talked to my mom. But it was literally only about us. There was no oh, you know, let's go and have drinks or anything like that. I don't know too many people whose families do that. And, you know, again, maybe, because this is not, it doesn't seem like an angry breakup. If anything, this is probably one of the most amicable breakups around. And it's really funny because it's the one that's dominated the headlines 
even though there's no none of neither one of them are really throwing any dirt at the other. Um, you know, there were some allegations of partying and whatnot, but that came from the teams that didn't actually come from Miley or Liam. And you know, the teams are always going to try to paint their client in the best possible light. The uh, the more interesting story that has come from this breakup is Miley just going wild and dating everybody. You know, I find that to be really intriguing and kind of curious, to be honest. I, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of thought she had grown into the Malibu era where, you know, she wanted to settle down and and whatnot. Now, don't mistake me. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to settle down and there's nothing wrong with being wild and dating around and having fun. But it's kind of getting to the point now where it's like, Miley, can you be alone? Can you be single? Because you literally went straight from your marriage to Caitlin Carter to Cody Simpson. And you're keeping all this praise on Cody Simpson but just a couple months ago you were keeping all this praise on Liam Hemsworth Uh, so what's going on here are you just trying to get headlines because girl you could get headlines no matter what you did I promise you And, and that's the other true fact of this whole thing is if Miley was doing this for headlines which I don't think she is she has a big enough platform that she could get headlines any other way. And she should get headlines any other way. She shouldn't rely on her dating life to generate interest in her work. Because that rarely works long term. But you know what does work long term? Me taking a break and coming right back to you. And I'm back. So let's talk about Ron Perlman and his wife. They have... Well, Ron has filed for a divorce from from his wife um, after 38 years of marriage. Uh, her name, uh, His wife's name is Opal. They got married on Valentine's Day, 1981. And they've been happily married ever since. They raised two children together. And... After... I mean, after raising kids together, you're you're either bonded for life or you're ready to kill the other person. Let's be honest. Um, Clearly, these two were not as bonded as they thought. So, five months ago, Ron was caught kissing... His startup actress girlfriend, or I'm sorry, his startup co-star Allison Dunbar. She's widely believed to be his new girlfriend, uh, and she was photographed rocking a diamond ring after they were caught kissing. Now, just, of course, she could be engaged to someone else, or it could just be a ploy. We don't know. But this week. Ron filed for divorce from Opal and cited 
um, their separation as being five days before the picture of him kissing Allison uh, was released to the public. So, this all seems very straightforward, actually, doesn't it? And it is until you get into the gossip side of things. So, Blind Gossip had a really um, interesting blind where they basically allege that Ron and Opal actually had an open marriage. So Opal's not mad that Ron was kissing another woman. She's pissed because he got caught. Um, according to this item, they, uh, they held separate residence, um, separate houses, that was they could each have, you know, their little lovers and whatever, knocking in the other one's way, and everything was hunky-dory. So, and, you know, that sounds really great, doesn't it? And it is until, and it is until you really get down into it and think about it. Like, an open marriage... Fine, that works for them. No judgment here. But... You know, the... The whole thing about her being more upset that he got caught is what throws me off. And I mean, I get it. Because no one wants to be made a fool of by their spouse. I mean, I think we can all pretty much agree to that. That none of us want to be made a fool of. None of us want to, you know, deal with that sort of thing, right? Well, over on Crazy Days and Nights, any lawyer says, "Mm, no, 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 that's not the case at all. The truth is, Opal's been waiting decades to be able to get divorced from him and she was just trying to make it to where she gets a lot more money I don't know why NT Lawyer is trying to make Opal out to be the bad guy in this situation uh, given everything that's happening and since they filed in California which is their main residence She's automatically entitled to 50% of everything anyways. So I'm not quite sure that this is a gold digger situation here. Although, um, you know, NT Lawyer really does try to make a lot of the females out to be um, vixens or villainous. Um, villainous. And I don't know why. Maybe he's not getting enough or something. But in in any case, Ron and Ron and Opal will be dissolving their marriage in the like I said in the state of California, and they're going to they're going to be devastating um, everyone because everyone thought that they were going to be together forever. And there's a very small, minute chance that this is going to be a Danny DeVito, uh, Rhea Perlman situation where they say they're getting divorced, but then they end up getting back together. 
Um, I say it's really small and minute because, again, there are the Ellis and Dunbar of it all. Are they engaged? Are they dating? You know, was it just a fling? We don't know yet. But it's a developing story, so I'm, of course, going to stay on top of it. And I'll let you know as soon as I know anything more about it. But for right now, I'm going to take a break and come right back. And I'm back. So let's talk about Keanu Reeves. Because I promised you I was going to keep on top of the story. And I I told you that they were going to... I told you that they were going to um, try to dig up dirt and figure things out about their relationship. And the internet did not disappoint. Because... When it comes to that sort of stuff, it never does. So, already people are trying to guess how long Keanu and his girlfriend have been together. Some are saying that they've been together for years and others not so long. So let's break down these arguments little by little. From Us Magazine, their source says that Keanu and his his girlfriend have been together since at least summer of 2017, which means about two years, and they uh, they were just trying to keep their relationship quiet and private um, for themselves, and. I mean, honestly, it's perfectly in character for Keanu. And what little we know of the girlfriend, she does not seem like one of the thirsty thoughts that Leonardo DiCaprio or uh, the other movie stars would date. Even Brad Pitt has been dating thoughts lately, and I'm just like, Brad, you had the ultimate thought, and you divorced her. How about we not go down this road anymore? (laughs) <laughs> so oh, <laughs> my Angelina Jolie hate does not know any bounds uh, anyways from People Magazine their source says hey no 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 they, they've known one another for years yes but they just started dating and they were trying to keep it on the DL. They wanted to keep it private. And, again, I can completely see that. Um, their source also says that Keanu uh, is just so happy and he wanted to share his happiness with the world. Again, completely on brand for for Keanu. And uh, I was asked which one I thought was actually true. And the truth of the matter is, is I, either or could be true. Or both are probably true, to be honest. There, there's something saying that they didn't start dating in, in 2017 and became exclusive recently. Um, you know, or who knows? Um, and so... I know, what we do know is Keanu's a very private man. He does not like to have his business splashed across uh, the headlines of the, of the tabloids. 
And frankly, I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. So what does this mean exactly? It, you know, I was, and I, I recorded it. This is the second time I recorded. I really screwed up on the last one, but uh, he, the guy I like, and I have been basically uh, in my mind quietly dating for a while. Uh, and I say that because one night he explicitly said that we were not dating, so I started to flirt with somebody else. And he grabbed me and said we had to go. And when I when I countered that we're not dating so he could leave by himself, he made it a point for me to leave with him and said it's something along the lines of basically your mind. And despite my public persona, I'm actually a very private person, and he's a very private person. That's why when I talk about him, I don't name him. He knows who he is. He listens. Um, you know, and that's the whole thing. Um, we're both very private people, uh, but I choose to, I choose to come out and and talk to you guys. He doesn't, and that's why I don't name him. That's why you know I don't really talk about my my own dating life very often because. It's not fair to him to have to give up his privacy. So, I can kind of see why Keanu would try to keep things private and to himself. And that being said, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to be right back. And I'm back. And we're heading right into the heart of NaNoWriMo. Which, I mean, thankfully we're not halfway done yet because I'm uh, way far behind. But we are getting to the point now where um, people are starting to get frustrated with their projects. People are starting to give up. And I just want to say, please don't give up on your project. Keep writing. Even if what you have is awful, an awful first draft is better than no draft at all. So... One of the things that I've been really thinking about lately, and it's a, it largely revolves around, it largely revolves around um, my editing career right now. Uh, I was, I'm dipping my toes back into editing. I'm working with someone I know on a project of his, and. Uh, and of course I'm working with Will who is just a brilliant writer I I cannot say this enough Will is so fucking brilliant I'm so mad that he's so talented but one of the things that I think sets me apart from everyone else uh, is everyone else will do draft after draft after draft and I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. You're, writing is rewriting. You're supposed to rewrite and, you know, tighten up the ship a little bit. But for me, I have to put a cap on it. Because if I don't put a cap, 
if I don't put a cap on it, I'm just going to keep rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And honestly, eventually, it's going to... Eventually, it's going to be to the point where I hate the project and I shelve it forever. Now, there's, of course, there's nothing wrong with rewriting. And uh, like I said, writing is rewriting. But I think some people take it too far. You know, I have friends who are brilliant writers. But they don't post often because like on Medium I have some friends who they could be a lot more prolific if they wanted to be but they're doing 8, 9, 10 drafts of the same story and that's not how content creation works you know far be it for me to tell someone how to do their job or whatever but when, when the goal is creating content as quickly as possible doing 12 drafts doesn't necessarily equal uh, it doesn't necessarily equal better better product what it does is equal you not getting paid you're literally leaving money on the table because you want to keep doing drafts and um, that's one of the things that I tell people um, when we're talking about editing uh, especially an NaNoWriMo piece, you know, that's 50,000 words, it's your book. I have a strict three-draft rule, and it applies to essays, it applies to books, it applies to anything I write. Um, I just wrote a piece called The Last Line of Gucci. It's on Medium, and uh, I, from the title, you can probably guess, it's about... Um, Gucci, uh, the heir of Gucci being murdered. The last heir of Gucci. I wrote it, I wrote the actual piece in just over an hour. I edited the piece and submitted draft number two. And it was curated, which means that the editors at Medium decided that it was one of the best pieces that they'd seen um, in, in that topic. And it was being splashed across the homepage, the main page. Um, it was being blasted into newsletters. So essentially what they're doing is they're advertising for me. And one of my friends posted a piece, and without exaggeration, she probably edited 14, 15 times, could not get curated, and she could not figure out the difference. And the difference here is, I think when you edit too much, you take away some of the fun of the piece. Because you're changing words, and you're, you know... Every time you change a word or change a punctuation, 
you're literally changing the, the content. You're changing the voice of the piece. Now, sometimes it, it, it's grammatically necessary. But other times you're just doing it to do it. Just to say you did it. Just to, you know, because you're trying to get curated or you're trying to whatever. And you're going to drive yourself crazy. I, you know, my process for editing is literally this. If it's a story and I need a, a fresh set of eyes, I send it over to Will. And Will, if you guys ever get a chance to have Will as your editor, do it. Trust me. He, he is great. He will pick up on things and he will make really good suggestions. Um, but after that, so after I ask Will... Um, if it's a short story, I'll read it for content, make sure everything makes sense, and, you know, it's punchy and very on-brand for me. And then I submit it. Same thing with an essay, um, except I don't send it to Will. Generally speaking, I don't send it to Will. Um, I'll run it through Grammarly, and then I'll send it to my editor. the editor will either say yay or nay. And if they say nay, there's a very strong reason for it. Uh, and it, uh, one of my pieces got rejected just because it was too controversial. And looking at it, I can kind of see where they're, why they were thinking that. I don't agree with them, but I can definitely see why they thought that. Um, so I put it into another publication and they accepted it right away Uh, after after I write the essays I run it through Grammarly and then I'm done I don't change another word of it and the reason why I don't change anything else is because I don't want to change the voice. When I, you know, when I write for Harsh Light News, it's not the same as when I write for Pop Off. And if I keep editing, they're going to start to sound the same, and that's not what I want. I want to keep the voice of each publication uh, independent from one another. And that's why I have my three draft rule. And I want to know how you guys are doing with Nano, so please reach out. Um, at author Ed Anderson on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, it's at author Ed A. Or always feel free to reach out to me via email at, at authoredanderson.com. And of course, you have the option of leaving me a message on Anchor Voice. I look forward to hearing from you. I'll be right back. And I'm back. And as a special treat, and surprise, I have brought Will with me. I think it's time to retire this joke, Ed. It's more tired and old than Joe Biden. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> Damn, I knew he was going to out-joke me. Just so you guys know, this is the second time we recorded this because I screwed up royally. I don't think Will's going to let me record anymore. <laughs> if I didn't let you record, we wouldn't have much of a podcast now, would we? That's it's not like they tune on for me. <laughs> 
Anyway, welcome back to Politalk, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a bit of a breaking news announcement before we begin. ABC, CBS, and NBC have all announced that they are going the cable news network route and will be carrying the impeachment trial live uh, during the day. That means your favorite soap operas like General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, uh, The Young and the Restless, and The Bold and Beautiful will all be preempted during the impeachment trial. Yes, unfortunately, that means everybody's least favorite soap opera, the, um, this session of Congress, will be taking their place. Specifically, I believe the networks intend to cover the public hearings that will happen later this month, as well as the actual trial, should, the, should it come to a vote and the House, set, House send articles impeach, of impeachment to the Senate, which is looking more and more likely with every witness who gets called. Early on this week, Gordon Sondland, one of the Trump advisors who sat in on his call, submitted revised testimony to the House, basically saying, oops, I, I totally forgot about that it was a quid pro quo, and that's why I didn't mention that in my previous testimony. It wasn't perjury, honest. Wait, can I start using that excuse with you when no. I don't? Damn. I should point out that this defense is not actually working for him. Nobody believes that. Although, yeah, the I forgot the I forgot about this giant criminal conspiracy has been tossed out by a lot of officials of this administration. Perhaps most memorably, Jeff Sessions prior to his resignation. Oh, Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions, who, unfortunately for all of us, will not go, will not accept that his fifteen minutes are up and fade into obscurity. He is has announced his intention to enter the primary race for Doug Jones's Senate seat in Alabama. This is very unfortunate for me as Jeff Sessions is a personal rival in the white as a is the person who is keeping me out of the top 3 whitest names you've ever heard. Well, you may not have to worry about that because Trump apparently has vowed to campaign against Sessions. Yes, yeah, Sessions Made um, a talk has made a advertising point of his campaign that he did not turn against Trump. He hasn't he hasn't released a book telling everybody everything about all those sordid details of the administration. However, all his bootlicking doesn't appear to have um, done him any favors with the commander in chief, who still remembers that he recused himself from the Mueller investigation and eventually forced Sessions out, and has vowed. Well, like Ed said, to campaign against him. It's increasingly unclear that Trump's opinion will have much effect on the race, though he went to campaign for Republican Governor Matt Bevin in the Kentucky elections. Matt Bevin lost that race by 5,000 votes to the Democratic candidate Andy Bashir, despite Trump's campaigning. Matt Bevin has refused to concede, citing irregularities in the vote, claiming... He has, and has claimed without evidence that thousands of absentee ballots were cast after the election, after the election had ended. Is this when the um, state Republican said, give us proof or let it go? Yes, that is, that is what happened. State officials are going to conduct a re-canvassing of the vote, but this probably won't. This will almost certainly not change the totals enough to put Bevin in the lead, which is very good. 
for the state of Kentucky since he was an absolutely awful governor who was despised even by members of his own party. Yeah, and it was it has been said that he Trump may not have actually played a factor in there. It might have been his own unpopularity. Yeah, there was probably nothing anybody could have done to salvage that campaign. Despite Bevin's historic unpopularity, it is still very surprising that a Democrat won that race. Perhaps what is even more surprising is that Democrats have taken complete control of the state, took complete control of the state legislature in Virginia in last week's elections. For the first time in a generation. Yes. One notable person who who was elected was the woman who was photographed biking alongside Trump's motorcade and flipping the president's car off. She was elected to represent her county with 52% of the vote. Also, she's known as my personal hero. Obviously. Madam Rep, if you would ever like to come on and be interviewed by me, I'll keep Will at bay and we can just have a drunk gossip talk by ourselves. Yes, the invitation is open. I'm sure everybody would rather listen to such an icon than me anyways. (laughs) In any case, we have one last bit of impeachment inquiry news. The law's... um, Rep... Um, The rules of the public impeachment inquiry allow the GOP, as the minority party, to call witnesses, although this is subject to the approval of the leaders of the committees conducting the investigation. Representative Devin Nunez, most famous for being a stooge and a toady, submitted his first request for uh, for witnesses to appear to Adam Schiff, at the end of last week. Those witnesses include Hunter Biden, two individuals who are connected with a conspiracy theory that Ukraine was housing secret Democratic servers and was trying to rig the election for the Democrats, and the whistleblower. Adam Schiff has said that he will take these suggestions under consideration, but that the impeachment inquiry is not a forum to open an investigation of the Bidens who remain who opened an investigation of the Bidens since there is no evidence that they have committed any wrongdoing. He also does not intend to... He also has said that the inquiry will not be used as a platform to reveal the identity of the whistleblower, as the whistleblower's identity is protected under federal law. Despite the fact that Don Jr. tweeted it out this week, allegedly. Among other things that Don Jr. did this week... He apparent other dumb things because basically everything he does is dumb. He reportedly tweeted out the whistleblower's name. We will not be linking. We will not be saying what day he did that or revealing the actual name because we're not we, criminals. Yeah, and we would not like to be a part of any harassment that is directed towards the whistleblower, which is the main reason why his name is not revealed. Now, before we end, how much do we want to talk here about Don Jr.'s appearance on The View this week? Oh, it was something. Yes, he was on The View last Thursday? Thursday. Last Thursday, he was on The View to promote his new book, Triggered, How the Left Hates Equality and Wants to Silence the Right and Wants to Silence Me. Jeez, the left is trying to silence Don Jr.? I would think that they could do a better job. Yeah. I, I'm just, my thoughts are, I just wish it fucking worked. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Oh. Anyway, he 
pretty much went on the view and was incredibly, incredibly rude for several out for the entirety of his appearances. He did not, to my knowledge, say a single true thing. Indeed, he did not. And probably the lowest point of the evening was when um, he responded to a question about how about his dad's role in the in the descent of political rhetoric in Washington by claiming that, you know, my dad's greatest sin is that he went against the establishment. And that's that's the cardinal sin of Washington these days. He this response was given to a question posed by Meghan McCain, who apparently has much, much more patience than I do. Because personally, if I had been in that situation, if that had been Don Jr.'s defense of his dad, after he'd spent a year insulting my own father, I might not have resisted. I might have not been able to stop myself from breaking his jaw. And just, uh, this is actually coming in from our sources over at ABC. Don Jr. will not be allowed back on The View. He is officially banned. Well, imagine how, imagine just how difficult you have to be to get banned from a show, uh, a show that has Joy Behar as a host. Just put that in your mind. Just before we end, I just want to say this. There's only been one other guest, to my knowledge, that's ever been banned from The View. And that's Kathy Griffin. After she made fun of Barbara Walters using lubricant. Anyway, thank you all for coming out to this week's Polytalk. I will see you all this time next week. Until then, cheers. Cheers.